Come and grab your Bibles and turn to Ezra chapter 7. I'll invite Andrew to come and bring us our first reading. It's on page 338. After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Seraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zeraiah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Some of the Israelites, including the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers and temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of God, the Lord and to, the teaching, and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. This is a copy of the letter King Artaxerxes had given to Ezra, the priest and teacher, a man learned in matters concerning the commands and decrees of the Lord for Israel. Artaxerxes, King of Kings, to Ezra, the priest, a teacher of the law of God in heaven, of heaven. Greetings. Now I decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom including priests and Levites who wish to go to Jerusalem with you, may go. You are sent by the king and his seven advisers to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Moreover, you are to take with you the silver and gold that the king and his advisers have freely given to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. Together with all the silver and gold, you may obtain from the province of Babylon, as well as the free offerings of the people and the priests for the temple of their God in Jerusalem. With this money, be sure to buy bulls, rams, and male lambs, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, and sacrifice them on the altar of the temple of your God in Jerusalem. You and your brother Jews may then do whatever seems best with the rest of the silver and gold in accordance with the will of your God. Deliver to the God of Jerusalem all the articles entrusted to you for worship in the temple of your God and anything else needed for the temple of your God that you may have occasion to supply, you may provide them from the royal treasury." Now I, King Artaxerxes, order all the treasurers of the trans-Euphrates to provide with diligence whatever Ezra, the priest, a teacher of the law of God, God of heaven, may ask of you, up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of olive oil, and salt without limit. Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence, 
for the temple of God of heaven. Why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and of his sons? You are also to know that you, are, you have no authority to impose taxes, tribute or duty on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, temple servants or other workers at this house of God. And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God, which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of the trans-Euphrates, all who know the laws of your God. And you are to teach any who do not know them. Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king must surely be punished by death, banishment, confiscation of property or imprisonment. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put it into the king's heart to bring honour to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way, and who has extended his good favour to me before the king and his advisers and all the king's powerful officials. Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. second reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 10 to 13. That can be found on page 785. So Acts 17, 10 to 13. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast But Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. This is the word of the Lord. Now that you've found your way to Acts, find your way back to uh, Ezra. Let me welcome you. If you're uh, new visiting amongst us, we've been working through uh, the book of Ezra, uh, not just because it exposes us to a whole range of strange names that, you know, perhaps in the future you might want to name your children, uh, rather because uh, the book of Ezra encourages us to see the greatness of our God uh, and pushes us to see the value of real worship of him. Uh, that's why we're looking at Ezra. Uh, we were on page 338 and hopefully you've had time to find it again. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father... We thank you that in your kindness, in your mercy, you speak to us and allow us to know you. We pray that this morning you might speak through your word, speak through the Bible, speak through me, a weak vessel, that your spirit would be powerful in our hearts and minds, that we would know you and love you all the more, that your ways would become our ways and that we might live lives that please you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when it comes to honouring God, worshipping him, how far will sincerity take us? 
Is sincerity alone enough to please God? Now, we gather here today because in some way we want to give praise and honour to God. There might be other reasons as well, but that's at least one of the reasons why we're here today. We want to praise him, we want to honour him. You know, in some sense, he has stirred that up in each of our lives. But it doesn't matter how we do it. You know, how much does your daily life matter as long as you know, you're authentic? You know, does sincerity mean carte blanche? Uh, the other week I was told about a, an Anglican church here in Sydney uh, where the preacher said that uh, he expected 50% of Jehovah's Witnesses in heaven. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses whose, whose passion probably puts us to shame as they get out there and tell people, but Jehovah's Witnesses who also have a message that uh, denies that God is Father, Son and Spirit, a message that says that Jesus is less than God himself. And he said half of them he expected would still be in heaven. Why? Because he argued it's not about doctrine as long as they're sincere. Now we know uh, insincerity, we know hypocrisy is just unacceptable. But, but when God stirs people up just to have a heart for him, a worship of him, is sincerity all that matters? Well, for all sorts of reasons we need to say no. Uh, we're not going to detail all of them but we will pick up some of the themes that we pick up in Ezra. It says, no, no, we need more than sincerity. So if you've missed the past two weeks, let me fill you in. I'm not going to assume Ezra is uh, necessarily quick in your mind. Um, Ezra, uh, we're, we're about 500 years BC, give or take. Uh, Ezra is primarily concerned with the re-establishing of true worship of the living God. Uh, as God had promised, 70 years after Jerusalem got smashed, they were taken as exiles to Babylon. The Persians took over, sent them back home. Uh, in the opening chapters of Ezra, which we've looked at over the last few weeks, God had stirred the spirits of, of both believers and unbelievers to see the temple rebuilt. So true worship, prior to Jesus coming, true worship could happen again. That's where it had to happen. Now, despite opposition, despite delays, the temple gets completed uh, and at the end of chapter 6, there's this wonderful finish. Uh, the temple is finished in 620. Uh, all the Israelites gather together. They do ceremonial cleanness. They make sacrifices. They particularly celebrate the Passover. They remember how God has delivered them. And they do it in 622 with great joy. So why isn't the story over? You know, isn't true worship now established? Why we got chapter 7? Well, God has more for us to learn. Real worship is in spirits sincerely stirred up that rely on knowledge of God, on a true and right knowledge of God. Two points I want us to glean from Ezra. Um, we're going to look at seven and eight today. Uh, one is the priority of knowing God and the other is the possibility of knowing God. Priority and the possibility. Uh, the priority is seen in the work of Ezra. Um, we're over halfway through the book and at last we meet the man who it's named after, uh, we skip in time, 7 verse 1 is uh, the reign of Artaxerxes, uh, about 50 years we skipped, we're in about 458 BC, which you of course would know. Uh, we meet Ezra. Uh, Ezra is a priest with a direct line back to Aaron. That's all those names in those opening verses. It's kind of like his CV. Here is a man we can trust because his family line goes all the way back to Aaron, Moses' brother, the original chief priest himself. But he's not a guy who leans on his reputation. 7 verse 6, we are told he is well-versed in God's law. That is, he is, he's efficient, he's skilled, he's speedy with God's word. He knows how to handle it. And as the story goes on, we see that, that 
God's word is the passion and priority for Ezra. What's his work? It's, it's to know God and make him known. So you follow through the story that Andrew read for us. We see in chapter 7, we see um, Ezra gets the king's blessing. Off you go, leave Babylon. You go to Jerusalem, you teach. The key is 7 verse 10, to understanding his work. Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of God and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. See, Ezra's priority was knowing God. He was devoted to it. Not in some cold, harsh, formal way. Not ticking boxes. He, he, he studied and was devoted to its study that he might observe it. That is, he might obey it. He might live differently because of it. And again, not even that is an end in itself for him. Uh, he wants to pass that knowledge on. And so armed with this, this letter of authority uh, from 12 on, uh, accompanied by this wave of about another 2,000 families, uh, we read in chapter 8, he heads back to teach. Now, the letter means that, yes, he goes with authority. He even goes with financial backing. It guarantees that he can get as much cash as they need to do the job. But more than that, he goes in 7.14 with the law of God in his hand. In 7.21, Ezra is called a priest, but more than that, a priest, a teacher of the law of the God of heaven. In verse 25, remarkably, he's commissioned specifically by this, this pagan king to teach people... Whoa, Ignorant of God's ways. See, Ezra's work, his whole life, demonstrates the priority of knowing God, knowing by knowing his word. Now, real worship is not restored when God just stirred people up to want to inquire of him and his temple. Now, real worship wasn't finished when God regathered his people in the place. Uh, it wasn't finished when the construction was completed and they had a, a, a place to gather around and sacrifice. It wasn't even finished when they joyously did it. Sincerity is vitally important, but it's limited. If God is going to be worshipped truly and properly, spirits don't just need to be moved, but informed. In Ezra's ministry, we see the priority of knowing God. And for us, even today, it's both... Uh, they're an encouragement and a model for us. See, if God has stirred you up, has God has moved in you that you actually want to, to, to worship him and give him honour, then, then you actually need to take on board and, and prioritise knowing the Lord. You know, take on the encouragement, first of all, that if you're going to worship God truly, then it has to be with knowledge. Sincerity is not enough. It's, it's not an accident that when God says he wants to be loved, he says, love him with all our hearts, mind, soul and strength. You know, it's, it's, if we're going to take this seriously, it means, yes, we must feel something towards our saviour. But our feelings aren't absolutely everything. You know, we live in a culture now where I think feelings have become uh, that unquestionable authority. That if someone shares with you, oh, this is how I feel about it, it, it's kind of evidence that you can't argue about. It's kind of, oh, do you? Oh, right, okay. And, and all sorts of things get done in the name of feeling led by God. And it's almost, oh, really? Um, you know, some of the worst things I've heard in the name of that are men who've left their wives and families because they've felt led by God to be true to themselves. That's not true worship. You know, again, all sorts of misrepresentations of God are peddled by the line. I, I like to think of God as, you know, the God I believe in wouldn't... No, no, Ezra encourages us, if we're going to worship God properly, yes, you need a heart for it, but more than that, you need to be informed by the word of God. 
you know, as, as a church community, as individuals, we need to keep being refined by God's word. Until the day we arrive in glory, we are always learners. And we, need, we need to develop a, a kind of mindset where, where we actually graciously welcome other people questioning why we do and what we do. You know, pushing us to see, um, is that actually a response to what you know of God and what God has said? You know, we, we need to be comfortable with each other to, to actually question when people say, oh, I think God's leading me to. You now question, uh, is it informed by the word? Not harshly, but in love. You know, reflecting on this part of Ezra this week, I, I suppose I see in myself that knee-jerk reaction to criticism of my practices. You know, I, I quickly, I'm quick to defend rather than consider, actually, am I worshipping with knowledge? You know, true worship prioritise a real knowing God. Which means we, we'd be wise to adopt the model for approaching the word that Ezra has. Uh, 7 verse 10 is just a beautiful picture of, of what it might look like for us to prioritise knowing God. Um, there, there are kind of three elements to it, but, but they're flowing. There's a kind of movement from devoted study to obedient observance, which goes on to telling others. You know, the, the, the first step is in that serious study. Um, you know, Ezra, not because he has to, but, but quite literally 7.10 says his heart was set to study God's word. It's a passion of his. It's the same kind of thing uh, when Deed read for us from uh, Acts and we saw the Bereans. You know, they were a noble people because they just wanted to know the truth about God. Someone shared how, uh, as a teenager, he found uh, Bible reading fairly unsatisfying, didn't really take much out of it. Uh, he also shared it was mostly done uh, at the same time as watching the TV. <laughs> and you kind of go, well, it's not surprising, is it? Uh, you know, the reward of reading the scriptures is, is not because, you know, you, you tick a box and get through a system and... No, no, no. The reward of studying the word comes from a heart that actually wants to know God, is devoted to knowing him. Uh, J.I. Packer put it this way. Knowing God is the most practical project anyone can engage in. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life, blindfolded as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. It's practical to know God. Now, I don't mind what Bible reading system you like to use. You might be a four chapters a day woman. You might be a, a few verses over breakfast kind of person. You might be a, a twice a week in a serious slab kind of person. Whether you do it formally, you know, correspondence, whether you just do it informally as you talk with other people and, and join connect groups. You know, what matters is you need a heart devoted to actually knowing the God that you worship. You know, if you aren't finding you know God any better, could it be that your devotion to the word is not much more than making it to church on Sunday and hearing a sermon? Yeah, but of course, that's not an end in itself, being devoted to the word. It's, it needs to lead to observance. That's Ezra's model. Uh, and to paraphrase uh, James 1, anyone who looks at the word and goes away unchanged is as stupid as a person who looks in the mirror and then walks away forgetting what they look like. Because yeah, serious study of the word doesn't just reveal God, it reveals us, just like looking into a mirror. You know, God we see in his glory and we see ourselves in our shame. But, but it doesn't leave us there. It actually transforms us that we can become more and more like him. A bloke I discipled um, from a, a church tradition, not, not one that really valued studying the word. Uh, he told me how, I suppose, when he caught up with friends from, from that church, how 
They'd never moved on in Christ. They were still where they were years ago, and yet he had. Now, he wasn't, he wasn't bragging. He was just observing the power of God's word to change. Now, the end of the year is, um, is approaching deadly fast. We're having Christmas announcements at church, so you know that it's close to the end of the year. Uh, very soon we'll get to that kind of evaluating how was 2010. Uh, when it comes to church life, when it comes to connect groups, you know, the measure is not simply was it fun. The measure is not simply did people turn up, but were lives changed? Were you changed? You know, that third phase in the flow is, is, is passing it on. Serious devoted study, being transformed, passing it on. Uh, Tim Keller evocatively uh, talks about a healthy approach to, um, to serious study of the, of the Bible, especially in Bible colleges. Uh, he compares Reformed theology to plutonium. That is, if all you do is ingest it, it'll make you sick. But if you wire it into your life and pass it on, it can be explosive. A woman in, uh, in our church was telling me how she chats to non-Christians just as though they're, they're fellow Christians. That is, simply sharing with them gospel truths, parts of the scripture, realising it's just too good for us to be selfish with and hold in our Christian community, but rather it needs to be just kind of given out liberally. You know, that's Ezra's model. You know, that's the flow of prioritising knowing God. That's the model we need. Now, sincerity is essential, but it's limited. A true worship will prioritise knowing God, but, but it's built on this wonderful assumption that it's possible. It's possible to know God. And we turn in Ezra 7 and 8 to the very work of God himself. Um, as it's permeated the whole book, again, God's hand is just dipping into everything. Uh, here he's making it possible that people might know him. Now, why was Ezra successful? Well, 7 verse 6 talks about God's hand on him. 7 verse 9 says, The gracious hand of God was on him. Now, why is it that a, a pagan emperor would allow and fund foreign teaching? You know, in, in verse 25, 725, he commands the teaching of a different religion to his own. You know, just, just think of the tension over you know, scripture and schools in our state. Can you imagine that happening here? Now, why does it happen? 727, praise be to the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put it in the king's heart to bring honour in the house of the Lord. Now, chapter 8 moves on and... and uh, Ezra leads these thousands of exiles home. We're not going to read all their names because um, it's hard work and they're hard to pronounce. But uh, he brings them home but w- with a few false starts. Yeah, there's a false start in 8.15. Ezra realises as he's got the camp together, great, we're about to set off. Oh, no, there are no Levites. That is, there are no other teachers of the law. That's why we're going back. And, and so he needs to round some up. How does it happen? 8 verse 18, the gracious hand of God was on us and so they get some Levites to join a second glitch is that um, uh, later on Ezra turned down any kind of uh, military security that was on offer. A highly dangerous journey. Uh, they could easily have been ambushed. Um, thousands of, of families, women, children included, could have been slaughtered. Uh, you know, they're taking money with them. Uh, they're a good target. Ezra had confidently, in verse 22, told the king, no, 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 God's gracious hands on it. We don't need your help. Then he starts praying. <laughs> And what happens? Four months later, they arrive safely. Why? 8 verse 31, the protective hand of God is upon him, guarding against enemies and bandits. Ezra wants us to understand God's hand is in everything. It is God who makes it possible for people to know him. 
Uh, even today, it is possible for us to know him and know the God we worship because he makes it possible. Now, firstly, he, he himself reveals himself. Now, Ezra was called the second Moses because he restored the law to God's people. But, it, but he's nothing more than an agent for the God who wants to be known, who wants to reveal himself. You know, I love how um, we live here, we church here, where within a few hundred metres uh, we have restaurants that can serve Thai and uh, Japanese, Italian, Indian, uh, classic fish and chips, uh, you know, modern Australian, whatever that means. Uh, you know, it, it's one of multiculturalism's finest features. But it also means that I live here within a few hundred metres of little idols and statuettes in different restaurants, not to mention the, the kind of pleasure and possessions that so many other people here worship. You know, the sad side of, I suppose, multiculturalism perhaps is that our city is confused about knowing God. You know, the English journalist Steve Turner um, wrote a poem kind of adopting the Apostles' Creed, transferring it round. Uh, just a small part of it says, we believe, speaking about our society, we believe that all religions are basically the same. At least the one we read was. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God and salvation. You know, there's a real confusion about how the, the, the truth of God can be known. But there needn't be. Praise God. God has chosen to reveal himself. Uh, we have a solution to offer a confused world. We have an answer for our inquiring friends. You know, he has done it. He's done it in creation. He's done it in his word. Most clearly, he's done it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in John 14, Philip says uh, to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You know, Hebrews 1 opens with this, with this kind of movement from God speaking through prophets to speaking through his son the most clear way he can, the exact imprint of his nature. You know, the only reason people don't see God clearly, according to Romans 1, is, is they don't want to. They suppress the truth. You know, what great news it is that it is possible to know the true and living God because he exposes himself to our limited gaze. And even more, we see in Ezra that God creates the circumstances for us to know him. God is in the detail. It was God who had Ezra born into that right family line at the right time in history. It was God who stirred up his heart to love the law and what it taught. It was God who moved in the king. Uh, it was God who made the trip successful. It was God who didn't just choose to make himself known, but he created the situation and the circumstance to be known. Now, yes, each day I need to choose to follow Jesus, just like you do. But I also know him because I was born in 20th century Sydney to, to parents who loved Jesus and brought me up knowing him. You know, he gave me the opportunity to know and read the word. He gave me a heart that desired him. Uh, desired him. He, he placed me uh, in a youth group with leaders who would teach me the truth. He again did it at university and so on. And, you know, whatever the circumstance of life, he has created it for you that you might know him too. That's why you're here today. God is in the detail. And he's doing it all the way, all around the world. We saw it in that mission clip. He's doing it up in the Northern Territory in remote parts. God is in the detail of their circumstances that they might know him. It's why Paul in, in Colossians 4 prays that a door might be opened for the message of the gospel to be proclaimed because God is in the details there too. Yeah, Paul knew God is both the, the revealer and the creator of situations that he might be heard. 
You know, that, that intimate involvement of God in the nitty-gritty is a really powerful idea when you grasp it. You know, we began this year as a church by saying that the 2010 was the year of the local church. Uh, I, I spoke with someone the other day who was just all the more persuaded that the local church was God's tool for saving lots of people in the city and around the world. Now, have you stopped to consider how our church family here, how God has perhaps placed us in this circumstance that thousands might come to know God? And likewise, in your life, have you, have you, you stopped and considered which of your friends, which of your neighbours, which of your colleagues has God put you in the situation of being next to that they might know him? Now, sincerity is, is vital, but it must be informed. In his kindness, God has, has made the priority of knowing him a possibility. May it be that God's gracious hand continues to be on each of us, stirring us up to true and informed worship. And may he work through us for the benefit of others. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you that you want to be known and you make it possible to be known. Father, stir in us uh, a devotion to want to know you, stir in us a desire to be changed by your word and work through us that others might come to know of your goodness and your glory. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.